So tell me about the moment, and you and I spoke about this prior to walking in here, is when you had to go meet with your employees. Yeah, we, we called an all-employee meeting. Uh, we started at Waters downtown uh, on the patio. We'd never called an all-employee meeting before. I mean, we have people that work different shifts, but I said, I, I need everybody. And everybody gathered on the, on the patio, and there were 68 employees at the time. And I said, I, I wish I had something better. You deserve better. But I don't have your jobs anymore. And we fired all but six of them. And I said, the best thing you can do is go down to the unemployment office as fast as you can, get on the phone, get on the emails, and just keep hitting it, hit redial, because everybody in the state is going to be doing the exact same thing. We just don't have your jobs anymore. There is not a bartender left in the state of Texas. There's not a hostess. These jobs no longer exist right now. And some of those people is the last time I saw them. Hmm. We fired over all the restaurants. We had 265 employees, and we fired all the way down to 31 people. After that meeting, we all hugged it out, cried, and they said, I wish I had something better. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then we went and did it three more times. That is, you know, and that's, and that's the thing about being a business owner, right? Um, so I can handle losing money here and there. That, yeah. that goes with the territory, but we didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, all these employees who work their butt off all yeah. the time, most dedicated people you've ever seen, hardest working people ever. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have anything for them anymore. And the, the hard part about being a business. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. All right, listeners, welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. And uh, with us today, we have the great John Bonnell. And, uh, and if you're not from DFW, let me tell you, you've probably heard of him anyways. And if you are living in DFW and you have not heard of this guy, you are a hermit and you never leave. <laughs> Although in a post-pandemic writing protesting election year trifecta of 2020, that could very well happen. And uh, anyhow, so when you need information on our guests and download the episode, go to myexperiencerealtor.com, click on podcast, and you will find all the information on this uh, scene. So welcome, John. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So my father-in-law, so Carol and James Van Hook. Uh-huh. Very, I think they almost eat at your restaurant on a weekly basis. Absolutely. Some They're with the Wetzels people. all the time. And As we say, great repeat offenders. <laughs> so my father-in-law, James, says I have to start every one of these with a joke. So <laughs> all right. here's the joke. You ready? Keep it clean, please. And, and, oh, yeah. Oh, Family yeah. He was expecting these actually to be not clean, and I have <laughs> disappointed him since we started this series. Um, so in the uh, in the good traditions of the restaurant industry, uh, there's this restaurant, and a bear walks in. He walks, sits at the table, and waiter comes up, and he says, I want a grilled cheese. The waiter looks at him and says, what's with the paws? Bear looks at him and says, what do you mean? I'm a bear. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wanted gluten-free, too. Right. right? <laughs> so, uh, man, I really appreciate you coming here and being on this podcast. I mean, I, 
I imagine you could, we could probably record a gajillion hours worth of content with you alone. And Maybe you want to talk about restaurants and pandemics. It'd be hard to shut me up. There's, a, there's been a lot going on this, this year. So when, when did you start in the restaurant industry? I went to culinary school, uh, the New England Culinary Institute in 97 and 98. So I always, I always say, if you want to, you want to feel old, just realize that you've, I've lived most of my life in the 1900s. So, <laughs> yeah, culinary school, graduated in 98, started working um, different restaurants. I chefed around until I felt like I had enough experience to try to get my own place going. That had always been my dream was to open a restaurant, but I didn't want to just, you know, throw some money and not know what I was doing. So formal training, culinary school, worked in New Orleans for a while, different restaurants, Dallas, Fort Worth, and then uh, opened my first place in October of 2001. So we opened Bonnell's October 12th, 2001, which was right after September 11th, 2001. Mm. Wow. Man. And the world was a different place then, just like it is a different place now, right? Absolutely. Man. And so you opened Bonnell's, and which has been a great incredible success. And listeners, it is absolutely worth it flying in here if you're not from here to <laughs> go there you. and eat. I mean, it's so tell us about a little bit about what, what it, the listeners to hear what they have never been there. What, what kind of sure the concept for Bonnell's, we call it fine Texas cuisine. It's a, it's a farm to table place. Even before farm to table was the cool thing to say. We've got uh, as much of our gardens as we can possibly, you know, got set to produce. We like to, to bring in Everything that's Texas from farms and ranches. I like local products. We, we do wild game like venison. We use Texas seafood like redfish, crab meat, great shrimp, anything Texas is known for, uh, especially when we can find really high end local farmers and ranches or we can grow it ourselves. That's what we specialize in. So it's a, it's a really fun way to experience lots of stuff that you don't just see every day. You want to try an elk tenderloin? We've got it. Um, we certainly have steak. This is Cowtown. Let's not kid ourselves <laughs> that, that we're going to do a restaurant that's completely exotic. But we have steak, we have fish, we have lots of things. But if you want to try something and just step out of your comfort zone a little bit, we certainly have plenty of options for you. It's a, it's a really fun place. Man, I so when I have out-of-town clients that come in and they've never been here, they're moving here. We get a lot of folks from California that are moving here. And yes, big we waves, do. And they go – Hey, we want to go eat somewhere. And I'm like, I got the place for you. Yeah, we're as yeah. Fort Worth as you could be, huh? It is. <laughs> and then, and then also, you've added some little gardening over there yeah. to, yeah, to the, grow. Yeah, the new gardens we've expanded. The uh, the new chef who's working with me, this guy, I say new chef. He's He's been in the business longer than I have. Charles Utes is incredible. He'd been at the Classic Cafe for a long time. And this guy is also not just an incredible chef, but he's a master gardener. So we've been able to take what we used to do as a hobby to try to grow a few things and expand it. He has set up some incredible gardens, and we are just starting to reap some of the, the benefits this year on our, our new, bigger, better gardens. It's awesome. And then I remember over there off of West 7th, you had opened up another restaurant a number yep. of years ago. About seven years ago, we decided to open uh, a fine dining restaurant called Waters. I always said, you know, there's, the problem is in Fort Worth, when somebody says, where's the good seafood, <laughs> everybody names the steakhouses. Right. And I thought... Doesn't anybody do seafood first? Doesn't anybody say we are a fish-based restaurant, that we are going to come up with really high-end seafood and do it right? And so I always felt like there was a void in the market, and I've just been hunting and fishing my whole life, so I'm kind of a fish nerd anyway. I just, I've always had a real passion for it. And I thought, why is it at Bonnell's when we have all this game and everything, the seafood does so well? So we opened Waters in the West 7th area 
uh, seven years ago. And we have at least six different oysters every day. We try to make sure we've got a real nice variety of different different flavors. And we get anything that's wild, seasonal, and sustainable. We're not going to overfish. We're not going to, you know, get just the cheapest thing out there. But it has been phenomenal. And then I got a little tap on the shoulder one day that said, we would love it if you would move this to Sundance Square. And it's such an iconic spot. That uh, when the, the powers that be gave me the invite, we we jumped on it and we moved from Seventh to Sundance Square. We're on uh, 301 Main Street. You can imagine that's a pretty good spot. Oh yeah, a lot of foot traffic right yeah. there too. So we moved there about three and a half years ago. Um, we moved right around. We opened up the second time around Easter. So uh, Easter will make our, our fourth anniversary at the new spot, and it has just been phenomenal. It's a really fun place to to work. And I love both of these restaurants, Thank but you. where my heart goes, being a TCU guy, <laughs> there you go, is another one, Buffalo Brothers. So Buffalo Bros, my business partner and another chef and one of my best friends in the world is from Buffalo, New York. And I had no idea that Buffalo was so just excited about Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, people from Buffalo are nuts. It's awesome. They are the craziest sports fans. And he just kept telling me over and over, he kept saying, if anybody did decent wings in this town, we'd make a killing. And I was like, Ed, there are wings everywhere. And he's like, there's not one decent wing. I dare you to show me a wing that's any good in this city. Not the way we do it in Buffalo. We invented this stuff. I said, okay, well, let's see what you're talking about. And uh, he made some wings, and I went, okay, yeah, you're right. This is definitely a much better wing than <laughs> than we do. We just don't know any better, you know? So we... Uh, we came up with the idea for Buffalo Bros. We've been business partners for a long people. People always ask if we're brothers, and he's from Buffalo, and that's where Buffalo Bros came from. We came up with the idea and found this spot right there on the TCU campus and thought, if we can't sell pizza, wings, and subs to the college kids, then we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> this is the ideal spot for a sports bar right here on University, a few doors down from the bookstore. This has got to be the spot, and uh, that was 13 years ago. Yeah, so um, as you know, I've got a restaurant myself coming up on ten years in the business sure. in June, and it, but mine too is across the street from a college campus, it's University a of Texas thing. in Arlington. Yep, and that's the way I felt. I was like, it's pizza, wings, and beer, and forty five thousand college kids. This has got to be marine proof. Yeah, and and every year they're going to bring you a whole new set of people to come walking by your door. It's just built in. It is. It is fantastic, and. We could probably do 17 episodes based on the kind of brain damage you can get on being the first time into the restaurant industry. And um, you got to be so crazy got, to want to jump into this business. No, no, no. no you gotta, like, I think you got to be a little bit of a masochist. If, if you're right. at the end of 2020 and there's a light in your head that goes off and says, that's it, restaurant, that's what I want to do, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. Right. Like you, like you bipolar, need to be medicated or something. <laughs> Well, professional help. I, so here's here's a funny thing about your your unit because you've got a Buffalo Brothers in downtown Fort Worth. Yes, as well. we opened our second Buffalo Bros um, a, a year ago, August. So that that one was right in the middle of our first year when we uh, when we got hit with the the COVID. Right. Yeah. And I, so your university location. Mm-hmm. So in 2013, I was doing TCU's executive MBA program, and you go to class every other weekend. Friday, Saturday, all day. So you have your first class from eight to noon. They provide lunch from noon to one, and sure. then you're back one to five. Well, after and it's an eighteen month program, but after about the first twelve months, you kind of get tired <laughs> you get of a routine. The food. Even though it was great food, 
But it happened to be about a five-minute walk to go to Buffalo Brothers, Bro, Buffalo Bros, sorry, Buffalo Bros, for lunch, and then uh, and we were already going there for happy hours at the end of class on Fridays and Saturdays. And I kid you not, with twenty-seven executives and everybody's in mid-age from thirty-five to fifty-five, your place became the staple of where we went for lunch, where we went for dinner, where we went to drink a whole lot of beer. I love it. And we, <laughs> so the funny thing, so Brandon, when he, he used to be one of your managers, yep. that was there. Uh, Brandon Brinkus. Yeah. It, we uh, so we 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 finished program in December of two thousand fourteen, and in March of 2015, a bunch of us got together and said, hey, for old times, let's go back. And when we showed up, Brandon was like, when you guys graduated, we saw a dip in sales. That's how much y'all were over <laughs> Yeah, we there. noticed a tick. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, and it, it, matter of fact, so Ryan Regal, uh, his family owns Regal Ware and Salad Master, uh-huh. and he flew in town last night. And so he came here for a business meeting, and uh, and that was our place. So he's here till tomorrow. And he said, "Hey, where where are we going tonight to eat?" And I was like, "You know damn well where we're going. We're old times. We got to go there." That's right. And so we we loved it. We love that atmosphere. And what I and, and, and it's funny enough, one of the things I love about your bar is that bar top is like a bar top. It is is old. It, it almost feels like an old saloon. Just because you go to a bar and you're like, ah, you know, all right, it's got a bar. But man, your bar top is a bar top. That bar top has been there for many, many, many years. It goes all the way back to when that place was called Fat Harry's. And it goes oh, back man. several other businesses ago. And the place right before us was a little sandwich shop, Texadelphia. And they right. kind of yeah. kind of painted it or something. It, it just it, it didn't really look like much. But one of our one of our guys who does a lot of contract work for us said, well, hang on. Let me see what this bar actually is. And started when he started scraping it down, he said, oh, this is good wood under here. He got all yeah. excited. His eyes got real big. And he's like, I can't wait. And uh, sanded it all down, stripped it all down, put a nice, you know, a nice little coat to it. And it has been one of those bars that just feels like an old school bar. It just, man, I tell you. And, and of course, with the COVID happening, so you had to have the little dividers in, in there. Yep. But, I mean, me and my buddies, when we want to watch a game or anything, that is our go-to spot, right? We, is- we realize right off the bat that the best thing you can have in a sports bar is enough TVs. you got to have them to where everybody is facing something that they want to watch. That's right. And there's about 40 or 50 TVs in that place, inside and out. You can see anything, and we have one iPad that controls them all. It's so cool when somebody says, hey, do you mind putting the Georgia game on that TV? And if you look around and nobody else cares, yeah, sure, we put that one on right there. This new Chive TV that's just basically a bunch of bloopers. My kids, it's like hypnosis. <laughs> they will sit there and just watch. I'm like, you know, when we go, can you put Chive right on that one so that they can see it? Everybody goes because there's something to do. Yeah. It's it's fun. that The kids are occupied. You're watching a game. There's... There's so much built into the experience just by having the right kind of, of AV. And so when we built our, our second one downtown, it's a bigger spot. We've got 93 flat screens in there, yeah. 72 taps. And just walking by, if, if it catches you, you know, out of the corner of your eye, you instantly think, I'm going to go watch a game there sometime. That, yeah. That's where I want to go watch something. It's on these huge TVs. It's awesome. Well, and, and, and the thing, and being in the restaurant business for almost a decade myself, the, one of the things that you have with your restaurants is there is a company culture mm-hmm. where in most restaurants, it's a revolving door. People coming sure. and going. It's and, hard. And, and, but with your restaurants, 
it's not uncommon to see the same person working there for years and years and years. And we've got, we call them lifers. We've got, we've still got lifers that are 19 years in at Bonnell's. And one of the things that I realized early on was that our, our industry is, is very flawed. And I don't know how it started, where it started, but I, I call it the Gordon Ramsay approach. When you watch Hell's Kitchen and you see Gordon Ramsay just chewing somebody out right up in their face, spitting on them, throwing food against their jacket, slamming and screaming. To me, that just seems like the worst work environment possible. You're, you're scared all the time. And I, and I work for chefs like that. You're always scared. And in my head, I just thought there's got to be a better way. I don't want to be in that environment. Even if I'm the guy screaming, that would be worse to me. So I just kind of had to deal with everybody that worked for me when we started. Look, we may spend more time with each other than with our own families. So at a very minimum, we're going to treat each other with respect. I'm, I may correct you. And I'm going to say, hey, this dish is not right, and it's not going out until it's right, but that's enough. You understand what I'm telling you. But to scream and yell and get personal and start throwing stuff, we will never, ever do. We need to still treat each other personally as individuals, and from the dishwasher to the executive chef, everybody deserves dignity. And that has worked really well for us. Now, there are a lot of kitchens that do not use that principle whatsoever, but I I just personally... I don't want to be in that environment, so I'm not going to tolerate it. And it's it's worked in a sense that people that find the industry and they want to work there for life, not I'm just going to do this for a couple of years until I graduate and then I'm out. We need those guys too. But mm-hmm. if somebody treats it as a profession, whether you're waiting tables or cooking, if you treat it as a profession, you want somewhere that you feel good about going to work. You feel good about the product you're putting out. You feel proud when the Customers give you a huge review and they say, and by the way, this was perfect. That's the crack that keeps people going. If they like their work environment, they like the people they work with, and they're proud of what they're doing, people will stay. And that has been really, really good for our businesses. So um, up till a couple of years ago when I've grown up a little bit more now that I'm closer to 50, (laughs) is if I didn't answer my phone and it was after 5 o'clock, my wife would first call the Fort Worth Club. <laughs> she knew where say, to find you. Say, is is he there? No. Her second phone call. See the bar was was to <laughs> Buffalo Bros, where Sammy would answer the phone and she'd go, "It's Laura. He's there, isn't he?" And she'd go, "Yeah, he's here." She'd go, Tell him to come home. <laughs> Still on first beer. Don't worry about him. He's okay. <laughs> but that's the and and here's something else for the listeners that I've always had a great admiration for you is your unconditional support of veterans. I man, uh, this week was Marine Corps birthday, two hundred forty-five years, yep. and then Veterans Day, and then Veterans Day, and uh, and I, I I just have to tell you, like even with my nonprofit, Cowtown Warriors, all the things you've done for their other veteran organizations, man, I, I'm just telling you as a veteran, thank you for that. We really that having that type of support back for us is why we're willing to go do violence on your behalf to keep this country free. Well, we appreciate that. There are people out there willing to do it. We are we are only the land of the free because of the brave, and we feel very strongly and will always support our veterans. And right now, we're going through some turbulent times, it's aren't di- we? It's difficult. Yeah. And then uh, let's go back to March 16th, I believe it That was, was. a Monday. Yeah. Yep. That was a rough day. Tell, tell us about your day on that day. We were supposed to have a Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival fundraiser. We were doing a sporting clay shoot out at, uh, at my family's ranch, just barely outside Fort Worth. And the mayor was coming. We had all these teams signed up. It was going to be a great little fundraiser. We were going to shoot clays and then have a little you know, food and beverage experience afterwards. Really looking forward to it. Then, uh, of course, we had to cancel it. And 
I kind of called around, emailed around and said, anybody still want to just go to the ranch and just sit down and talk? Because it looks like a lot of stuff has happened. I mean, it was all coming at us so fast, we didn't know what to make of it. And I got a bunch of, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of busy, I don't know, I might. And I said, well, the mayor said she'd come. And everybody said, great, we'll be there. So Betsy Price came, and she brought the head of city health, the the, the one that we would normally not want to see. This is the guy in charge of all the health inspectors, right? <laughs> code, code compliance, <laughs> the chief. So he shows up, the head of city health, the mayor, and about a dozen independent restaurant owners or chefs, bar owners. We all just sat around a room properly distanced but this is the first time we had heard of any of this nobody had any masks back then and we uh, we all sat around i invited my brother too he's a global health expert he's a professor of medicine at tcu and he is is as knowledgeable as anyone could possibly be on infectious disease and we all sat around talking and and betsy is just an incredible mayor and she looked all of us and, and just said i do not have any intention of shutting the restaurants in fort worth down and within 10 seconds, one of the other owners held up his phone and said, looks like Dallas just shut all the restaurants down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it literally happened that fast. And we all got this kind of somber, you know, mood that just hung in the room and we knew it was inevitable. She had no intention to shut us down, but at some point it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be an option anymore. And I believe it was the county judge, Glenn Whitley, that actually ended up making the call. But we all kind of knew at that point that this was, this was coming. We were going to be, uh, we were going to be under a whole new set of, of rules, and our businesses were all in jeopardy. We had no idea what to expect, how long anything was going to happen. Are we just flattening the curve? I mean, we didn't, we didn't know. And it was a really scary and somber day knowing that this was going to happen. We got shut down two days later. Um, during that meeting, she also said, well, as we have more information and announcements, how do you want us to communicate? And, um, you know, it, it – it, the, the plan kind of became, she said, well, designate somebody and I'll either text or email that person and they can spread it out to the group. And all the eyes kind of kept looking at me. And I <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I ended up being the guy that got the big email list. So we started with the email list for the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty good, solid list. And we've been adding to it ever since. So somehow I got designated and it, it became something that I, I got very excited about because when we get into this shutdown and you get into quarantine and they say, just stay home and don't do anything, I can't. I am not the kind of person that can just sit still and say, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and relax and spend a few weeks sitting at home with the kids and do nothing. I, I, I'm balled up. I need to do something. I, are, the, are the restaurants all going to fail? Do we have no options here? And to be able to keep communications with all of the other restaurant owners and be able to provide information, announcements, and things like that. It became a a way for me to at least do something. And it, it kind of became an important part of, of my, my wife was at some point is like, look, you need to put the laptop down for a couple hours. And I, I realized that I was diving into it even too much, but it became kind of the the way that everyone from the mayor or the county judge or the governor's office or Senator Cornyn's office could say, all right, tell the restaurants this. Here's the rule. Uh, okay, now here's the new rule. Now here's the next one. And then it became an information channel to say, oh, by the way, here's how the PPP loans work. Here's another thing about our industry. Other people have been sending me like, here's some data that might be interesting to your group that was compiled by this group. And so it, it's become a service, but also therapeutic for me to be able to at least keep communicating with other people during these shutdowns and partial openings to say, at least, at least I can try to help and do, do something. I can't just sit still. So tell me about the moment. And you and I spoke about this prior to walking in here. 
is when you had to go meet with your employees. Yeah, we, we called an all-employee meeting. Uh, we started at Waters downtown uh, on the patio. We'd never called an all-employee meeting before. I mean, we have people that work different shifts, but I said, I, I need everybody. And everybody gathered on the, on the patio, and there were 68 employees at the time. And I said, I, I wish I had something better. You deserve better, but I don't have your jobs anymore. And we fired all but six of them. And I said, the best thing you can do is go down to the unemployment office as fast as you can, get on the phone, get on the emails, and just keep hitting it, hit redial, because everybody in the state is going to be doing the exact same thing. We just don't have your jobs anymore. There is not a bartender left in the state of Texas. There's not a hostess. These jobs no longer exist right now. And some of those people is the last time I saw them. Hmm. We fired... Over all the restaurants, we had 265 employees, and we fired all the way down to 31 people. After that meeting, we all hugged it out, cried, and they said, I wish I had something better. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then we went and did it three more times. That is, you know, and that's and that's the thing about being a business owner, right? Um, so I can handle losing money here and there. That yeah. That goes with the territory, but we didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, all these employees who work their butt off all yeah. the time, most dedicated people you've ever seen, hardest working people ever. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have anything for them anymore. And the, the hard part about being a business owner, as you will know, is it's not about making popular decisions all the time, is it? <laughs> no. It's about making – this is what I call the defining moment between entrepreneur spirit and entrepreneur courage. Yeah. And the courage comes in when you have to make unpopular decisions. And sometimes you don't have the choice. The choice was made for us, right? Right. And and you don't have that choice, and you're just sitting there, and you feel for each person. But this is the perspective that I really wanted the listeners to get out of this. So you had 31 people left out of 265. Yep. Right. So two math for Marines, right? Was that 260 yeah, or that, 234? That was a rough day. That was a rough day. And the the hard part is you had 234 people that were naturally disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. And Not one of them showed it. That was amazing. Yeah. Everyone hugged and cried and said, hey, I understand. Yeah. It's okay. They, they were all <laughs> incredibly uh, accepting of it. Yeah. And the thing that I think uh, employees sometimes don't realize is each person, you know, they're, they're concerned, but you were concerned for 234 people, mm-hmm. right? And that was when this thing hit and I've got 25 employees at the restaurant. I've got eight for the real estate side. I've got the nonprofit and and I and I and I forget one of the employees from the restaurant had called me, and it, which never happens because I got a general manager. And they're like, "What are we going to do? What am I going to do?" Blah blah. blah. And, and I said, "Look, I understand your concern, and you're worried about you. I am worried yeah. about over forty people yeah. right now, it's and a, it's a big picture. Yeah, and but what ends up happening is when you to me and knowing you for a number of years." always watching you is I've always admired your leadership. Oh, and, thank you. And one of those events to demonstrate leadership was all over the news when <laughs> some protests were happening in oh, downtown man. Fort Worth. Oh, to, just to, to add insult to injury, hey. <laughs> 
After we'd been shut down for 84 days, we finally opened up waters again, and I couldn't be more excited. I mean, we had been literally just serving bags bags at the curb of family meals. We abandoned our entire concept of fine dining and just said, people just need to eat. So we were putting out the highest volume for the lowest price, 10 bucks a head, four packs, you know, family meals, and giving out plastic bags at the curb, putting them in the backseat of cars. And finally... We get the word that, okay, we're going to let restaurants open again. And at 25%, it wasn't even worth looking at. But when they said, we're going to move to 50%, I said, okay, we're going to be able to open the restaurant and people are going to be able to come back out of their homes, sit down and have fine dining again. And that it, it was emotional. It was, oh my God, we're going to, we're going to do this again. It was 84 days of nobody in the kitchen making a single fancy meal. We're just cranking out as much food as we can. And now we're going to hire employees back. We're, we're about halfway home on employees. We're about, we got about half of them back. And the second day that we're open, we get a call from security who says the protesters are coming down the street. And as soon as they start marching, stand there, lock your doors, don't let them in because they're running into restaurants to disturb everything. And I said, are they really? And I'd seen some stuff on the internet. Sure enough, they were going to come into restaurants and try to make disturbances. And I'm not against the protesters. I'd actually marched in one of them. I didn't want time to go by and Say, yeah, whatever happened when those protests happened? Oh, I was too busy working. I, I wanted to experience it. And I, I had called a friend of mine from high school, this guy that I've kept up with ever since we went to Arlington Heights together. His last name was Butler, and I was Bonnell. We sat next to each other in homeroom. We've been friends ever since. And he said, Bonnell, are you calling as my white friend to ask your black friend to come march with you? I said, yeah, Terry, I am. And he laughed harder than I've ever heard. He goes, I've been sitting here telling my wife, I'm not going down to the protest. I don't want it. But you know what? I want to go and experience it with my, my favorite white friend. This is going to be the most fun thing we ever did. But now they're telling us these protesters wanted to come and shut restaurants down, basically. They want to come and disturb everybody and scare them out of your restaurant. And I thought, what, what did we do? You mm-hmm. want to go pick on restaurants? We're, we're not the ones that, that really uh, need, need the kicking right now. Yeah. So we locked the doors. They marched by some some obscene gestures through the window, a little bang, but nothing big, no big deal at all. They went by and customers were very uneasy when they saw the march come by and they heard it. And there was some some pretty salty language, but they were very reassured that we're standing there holding the door locked. And they said, okay, thanks for doing that. But about 10 minutes later, the manager comes by and says, chef, they're coming to the patio. I didn't think about it. Yes, you can lock your door, but the patio is right there on the sidewalk on a public street. And the protesters were given free run of streets and sidewalks, which I totally understand and I'm in favor of, but I didn't prepare for this. We were just barely getting open again, and I've got a full patio, absolutely full, and people are excited, and they're spending money. First time in a while, we're we're trying to get our financial feet back under us. And uh, they came around the corner, and, and here it came, uh, hundreds of people screaming, yelling, and it wasn't it wasn't pretty. And right off the bat, someone saw me and said, oh, well, there's John Bonnell. There's a community, a community leader. Come here. I need to talk to you. I need you to tell the mayor something. And I said, okay, I'm happy to tell the mayor anything you want. What, what do you want? And it kind of caught him off guard. He was like, wait, you're, you're just going to tell the mayor something if I tell you? I said, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not against you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on your side. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not fighting about anything. I, I agree with you. What makes you think I didn't come out there and march with you? He said, you marched with us? I said, come here. And I gave the guy a hug. Didn't realize Channel 5 was there. Right. right. <laughs> Embedded in the whole thing. But I said, come on up here. And he, he, he walked up. I gave him a hug. A lot of people cheered. And 
within a minute or two, everybody just kind of marched on. They're like, we, okay, we don't have a conflict here. My, my whole goal is not to ever fight with people. Can't we, can we talk it out first? Because we agree on a lot more than we disagree about. Yeah, I, I said, look, I, I watched that video, and when they're sitting there with a knee on that guy's neck and he ended up dying, I cried, man. I'm, I'm on your side. I'm not fighting you. But we've been closed 84 days, and we're hurting too. And they very respectfully marched on. Now, the patio down the block, they stayed for 30 minutes and several people got arrested. I was glad that we were able to defuse it. And the next night when they came by, I said, hold on, I've got a, a plan that I want to try to go through here, a little, little bit of a different approach. Don't wait until the protesters come up and see what they say. We made signs ourselves. And I made signs in the language that I wanted to say, not what they were screaming, because it some of it I didn't, I didn't like. I'm, I'm behind the protesters and I'm behind our police officers at the same time. So I wrote signs like, Black Lives Matter to us too. George Floyd did not deserve to die. Racism is never okay. Things that we completely, 100%, totally agree on. And we had all these signs ready. And as they came marching up, customers joined in and grabbed them and we all held our signs up. And everybody kind of applauded. I gave them a case. Of, I said, hey, it's hot out there. There's a case of water right here in the ice chest. Pass these around. You guys be careful out there, okay? Y'all be careful. And they were extremely nice. Got a lot of, you know, fist bumps and everybody just marched on. And again, people got arrested down the street going to other patios. But I thought if we take an approach that we're not fighting, maybe it's going to work. And uh, that worked pretty well to kind of deflect a lot of the anger. And I I often say that – when things happen, 95% of the time is from miss or bad communication, mm-hmm. right? And and I had to learn this trait because by nature, I am a horrible listener and horrible communicator, <laughs> right? Like, I, matter of fact, when uh, I went to go do the executive MBA program at TCU and they do this big assessment, on, you know, what are your competencies? And out of 35 competencies, they – fall into, you know, one of four categories, things you knew you were good at, things you knew you were not good at, things that you didn't know you were good at, people think you're good at, and then the clearly I'm proud of myself, but not everybody else thinks so category, right? (laughs) And so, but when it came back and said, well, you're bad at listening, and I showed it to my wife, she goes, did we really need to drop $100,000 for you to go, you're a bad listener? (laughs) Got to put that on a post-it note for seven cents. Right. And so I, I, but I, you know, I always knew that wasn't my strength. And so building workarounds to do it because um, – and, and, and surprisingly enough, even though I'm not a great communicator, I was in the Marines for six years and I was with Fort Worth PD for 16 years. And what I did learn is it's a lot easier to talk with folks than fighting them. I agree. Right? And Especially when you've got a crowd. Oh man! The crowd mentality changes everybody. There's an energy that that builds, and that crowd came around the corner mad, and they were ready to fight. Yeah, but we we talked instead, and I, w- I was proud of our customer base because I didn't tell anybody. Hey, by the way, guys, we've got this big plan. I said, okay, it looks like the march will be coming around in a couple of minutes, and I had some signs, and a few customers said, can I hold one too? Yeah, I'll hold one here. I'll take that one. And the protesters were satisfied that okay. You guys are showing us some love. You're showing us some respect. You're treating us as people, and and we agree on stuff, and that worked. And then later, as the police mounted unit or the police 
mountain bike unit came by, people on the patio gave them applause at the same time. Yeah. You know, out of the top, out of the top 30 cities in the country, the top 30, Fort Worth is number 13. We are the only one that didn't have major, massive violence, looting, riots, and, and fires. We're the one. I, I got to say, our yeah. police department did an incredible job of containing and yet still being respectful. I'm not saying there weren't any problems, but I really have to say hats off to our city officials, the mayor, our police department, because it didn't happen here. Man, I'm really proud of that. So something you may not know about me is my last job before I decided to retire and go into business was I was supervisor of internal affairs. So 13th largest police department in the United States, and I'm responsible for the integrity of it. And what I can tell you and listeners is Fort Worth PD is a good department. Do officers make mistakes? Absolutely. Are there a few bad apples? Absolutely. We knew who they were. We had identified them, and we were getting rid of them as fast as we could. Every industry has them. Every industry has them. But I can tell you that these these people put on a uniform Mm -hmm. and go to work, and they do it. And the the, the interesting thing out there is uh, I think that being a police officer, no matter where you're a police officer now, I've got even more – of a respect for those officers now because to be able to put on a uniform yeah. when you're public enemy number one just because of the uniform you're wearing yep. and to still do it and go forward. My dad's a retired Fort Worth police officer. He and I talk about it all the time. And I said, man, I've got even more respect for these folks because I, I I don't know how much of that I would be willing to just go, you know, at what point do I just – Sure. Is, is enough enough? And, um, and so – now, my, my wife and my in-laws and my family are so glad that I had retired in 2014, you know, you know, six years prior to all this happening. But man, I, and that's the, and, and that's the really interesting thing, John, is like I said, is I've always seen you as a very charismatic leader. You support veterans, you support movements, you support your employees. And there's a, there's a, where, where does that come from? I guess just good parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just a sense of values that I, we're from Fort Worth. Fort Worth is really a family. It's one of those cities that's not just a whole bunch of people. Everybody still knows each other in Fort Worth. It's got a history of, of, of taking care of our own. Fort Worth supports itself as a community. It's a million people, and we all still know each other. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I think the moment that, that sticks out for me the most and how we handled the, the demonstrations was the one night that they said, look, there's a curfew, and, and at 830 or 8 o'clock, whatever it was, we're going to have to start arresting people. And the protesters, they were there to fight. And they said, we are not leaving. We're going to stand right here. Go ahead. And the police officers, they were nose to nose for a really long time. And they kept talking. Instead of just screaming, they, they kept talking, saying, look, we don't want to arrest anybody. But at some point, they're going to make us. Please, don't make us arrest you because we don't want to. Yeah. We're, we have no desire. And they said, well, the, the time actually came and went. And they didn't arrest anybody. They, they let it go past curfew. And there was just a stalemate. It was, go ahead and arrest us if you have to. Please, don't make us do it. And then at one point, the police chief came out himself all the way up to the front, talked with one of their leaders. And he said, I'll tell you what, you take a knee with me. And he said, I'll, I'll kneel with you in prayer right now. And they did. And both sides said, oh, you know what? That was a fair compromise. And they went home. And everybody was okay. Nobody lost. Nobody won. Everybody got to go home. And that was, to me, 
one of the greatest things you could say about a city mm-hmm. that yeah we're, we got problems we we are we are flawed we have huge issues but we figured out a way to get through it without hurting anybody without burning anything down without going to, without going to fists even if it was just for one night i was pretty proud of that one yeah yeah and we're still facing economic hardships going forward right that's for sure and and now and it was interesting enough is you know they had said when covid came out they said when you know it'll go down but then it's going to spike up because when we hit winter that's when you're indoors more you're indoors more and everything and so the future is very ambiguous of what goes forward I mean, and I, I can't imagine that you don't spend about 24-7 thinking about that. Yeah, I hadn't been, hadn't been sleeping too well since March. Um, there's a lot to be excited about. We've got a vaccine that's packed and ready and shows very good promise. There's another vaccine from Moderna coming soon. There are treatments that are showing a lot of promise that are ready to go, that are getting approval at record speed. It looks like there may be a light at the end of the tunnel, and it may be soon. But nobody knows when and how good and whether it's going to work or not. There's also, you know, more cases today than ever. There may not be as many deaths per capita, but there's still a lot of people dying. So there's there's reasons to be optimistic and reasons to to still take caution. I'm not looking at the restaurant business saying, oh, man, we are back to normal and we're just going to laugh about this as something in the past in the next couple of months. There's, there's nothing that says this is your end date. Or it should at least be by this date. And there's no way to see that. And so that uncertainty is something we're going to have to carry with us for quite a while. There's never going to be someone who says, oh, I've got it. Here's the date on the calendar. Everything's cool then. So what what do you do for coping measures to, I mean, because you're living under all this stress. What what is your outlet? What do you do as an outlet to try to just shred some of this? Because it's not sleeping, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So my favorite outlet is exercise. I I didn't want to end up looking like your stereotypical chef. So about 12, 13 years ago, I uh, lost a bunch of weight, lost 20% of my body weight and started running. I ran everything from 5Ks to marathons. And then I found triathlon, which is my favorite. Why suck at one sport when you can suck at three at the same time, right? (laughs) And I just loved it. I jumped into everything from sprint triathlon, and I like putting something on the calendar that scares me that I don't even know if I could do. I I said, okay, I want to see if I can do a half Ironman. It's 70.3 miles. And then I did it. My wife looked at me, and she goes, well, you're going to do the full one, aren't you? And I was like, no, no. Well, you know. (laughs) She said, look, just sign up for it. And shut up already. Of course you're going to do the full one. I was like, yeah. yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. She said, of course you're thinking about it. You got to you gotta try to do harder stuff. And I'm like, yeah, perfect. So triathlon and training for stuff like that has always been my favorite release. It's the only time that I don't take a phone. So I'm literally in my own head and that's it. Nobody can get to me. I can go for a run. I can go for a swim. I can go for a bike ride without communication. And that's where I go to work my stuff out. A friend, a friend passes away and I just need a minute. I'm going to go for a run. My wife and I have a fight, and I just need some time. I'm coming back, but I need to go for a run. That's that's where I really get in my own head and can work stuff out. And then I tore my ACL about a year and a half ago, and I can't run right now. <laughs> so 2020 is the, no, you don't get to escape by going running. You're still in physical therapy, and uh, you can bike, but not very well. Not the way you want to bike. You can just sort of go. You don't have <laughs> the strength yet. So 
2020 just keeps on giving, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? It, it just, you know, and uh, so I've got a good friend of mine, uh, John Allen. He's a retired four-star Marine Corps general. He was our third, our third-year event at Cowtown. He was our guest speaker. And he and I were on the phone a week, I think about a week ago, and uh, and I made the comment. I said, yeah, the post-pandemic riding, protesting, election year trifecta of 2020. And he goes, oh, yeah, don't forget the hurricanes and fires. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, actually, it just seems like it, it, it's it's almost – do you remember back the old game of Nintendo Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I was like, this country ball, literally ball. feels like gas, glass, jo- glass Joe. <laughs> That's right. Right? And it, but instead of you're, you fighting Glass Joe, it's like Glass Joe is fighting Mike Tyson, right? And just – Taking it, but but there is something because I've always been a half glass full kind of person. Is that even with all of this, and yep. even with the current place we are in the election, whether it's settled, unsettled, Supreme Court or whatnot, we're we're still we're yeah. still a country, still moving forward. Yeah, right. We're we're better off than a lot of places, and uh, yeah. there's. I'm a glass half full kind of guy too. I'm very very optimistic. I always see the bright side to a fault. And when this first started and we all got shut down, at one point my wife said, look, I understand how hard this is, but at some point you got to be happy again. Yeah. And it, it took a while. It, I, I needed her to tell me that to understand that I can't just wallow. I can't just sit here and say, oh, you know, this is terrible. This is doomsday. And we, we had to come up with a plan for, okay, this is a new set of circumstances and they suck. This is terrible. You're in the restaurant business, and they said you can't open the door. You can't have customers. But here's what you're allowed. And we had to figure out with that weird, strange set of rules, okay, how can you be in business? How can you survive this? How can you um, weather the storm and live to fight another day in the restaurant business given this new set of, of handcuffs and straitjacket and everything else they could do to you? And uh, that became, okay, challenge accepted. That sounds hard as hell. Let's do it. Let's figure this out. Now, it, it wasn't rosy. It, it wasn't, oh, well, we just started doing this and it worked. Because we tried lots of stuff. And some things worked and some things didn't. When, when we sat down and said, okay, the restaurant is closed. We don't get a choice. We can't open the doors. What we are allowed to do is sell at the curb. We can only sell bags through the door. We can't have people sit down. We're a fine dining restaurant with 450 wines on a list. That is not something that we can do in the parking lot. Um, We sat down with a few beers, spent some time talking, and I said, all right, guys, this may sound weird. We only had six employees left at Bonnell's. I said this, but hear me out. What if we said we just abandon our entire concept? Nobody needs buffalo tenderloin right now. Nobody needs oysters on the half shell. What they need is food, family meals. Families still need to eat. Everybody's not going to just magically start cooking every single night. So let's produce the highest volume of food that we can, and let's try to give it to the people in the most efficient way possible. So we're going to do family four packs. You can't do enough volume one order at a time when you're walking bags out to cars. I mean, you just – efficiency, it, it won't work. You can't get sales. You can't keep up that way. So we said, you know, let's go back to the – I used to cook at the TCU Stadium. And these are the guys that were that were doing it. The catering team did mass volume cooking for the TCU football stadium for clubs and suites. We, we were cooking for 5,000 people in a three-hour window. I said, let's go back to what we did at TCU, and let's fire up the smoker. We can get 600 pounds of meat in there at a time. Let's do volume cooking 
as much as we can make, put it into family four packs, charge 40 bucks, change the menu every day. We'll get what product we can and we'll just serve it at the curb. And they thought I was nuts. I mean, yes, it met with a lot of resistance, a lot of, I mean, if you tell me to do it, I'll do it, but that's a terrible idea. And it worked. I couldn't believe it actually worked too well. The first night that we tried to do this, I put it on Facebook and said, here's what we're doing. Come by, support your local restaurants. And, you know, no, I'm just going to put the menu up and tell you what we're doing that day. And the next day, I'll tell you what we're doing that day. Nothing ahead. $40, family four-pack. We'll put it in the backseat of your car, contact-free. And you can s- swipe a credit card without touching anybody. And we're all wearing masks and gloves. And the first day when I walked out thinking, okay, I'm going to go out there and kind of see if there's a line or not. I looked and there were cars coming from six different directions, <laughs> all nose to nose. Oh, my God. The parking lot was full and it was the biggest cluster I've ever seen. I just wanted to turn around, go in and cry. But we started with the last car in line. And everyone's like, wait a minute, we were here first. I'm like, I know, but nobody can leave until we yeah. serve this car. And he he backed his pickup truck out in the middle of Brian Irvin and left. <laughs> and then we served the second to the last guy in that line. And again, there were six different lines, all nose to nose. So we, we got through that night and it was an absolute horrible showing. But we did feed, you know, 600 people in an hour and a half. Incredible. Okay. So it was something. It was not the most efficient thing. It looked like an absolute cluster not something that I was proud of. And we all went in and I said, look, just help yourself to the bar. <laughs> you, <laughs> you guys did a great job tonight. And the tips that people were giving, they said, look, yeah. we just appreciate that y'all are doing something. Thank you. I'm so, you know, it did take a while, but thank you. Give this to your people. And people would give you $40 for the meal and throw 100 on top and say, just take wow. care of your people. Take care of them. Wow. And, and we, kept, we kept giving the money to employees that we fired for a long time. Wow. Because they're sitting at home and... It's not their fault. Right. So the second day we said, okay, we're going to have all the traffic come in this part of the parking lot and leave that way. <laughs> we used a few traffic cones that we could find. I have a friend who uh, who really hooked us up. The Renafrog guy just, Warren Prescott said, I got plenty of traffic cones. I got signs. I can do anything you need. And then we used employee cars to block off some of the entrances. And the second day went really smooth. At, this is at the Bonnells location. And people were lined up up the street. I and mean, we had cars lined up almost a mile. Yeah. And we were just cooking as fast and as hard as we could go. We did the exact same thing at Waters downtown and it it didn't work as well. Not that the food was was the problem, it's just that not many people live in that area and there was nobody downtown. It also doesn't have the same traffic flow pattern. There's not a perfect access road for them to line up on. So we still do curbside meals at Bonnell's the exact same way. Yeah. And we're still selling out 400 to 600 people a day. Waters, after several weeks of this, we finally said, you know, that it, it's not enough business to sustain it. So we just need to shut down. I brought the employees from Waters over to Bonnell's so everybody could start getting days off. We were doing this seven days a week and just kind of combined the two kitchen teams. There were only four people in each kitchen cooking that much food. So I said, now we got eight people in the kitchen and everybody here is is very experienced. Y'all figure out who can start taking days off here and there. And and we just stopped doing the service at Waters for a while. But it's funny, I, I thought it was an awesome plan. Everybody else thought it was a terrible plan. And it really worked well at one location and it bombed at the other. And then you got to realize every restaurant in town is doing the exact same thing. Throw something against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And some stuff really works and some doesn't. Some said, we'll still do our exact thing. We'll just do all our food to go. But you can't efficiently get that much done in a night. You can't serve 150 customers like you would on a Saturday night in the parking lot to go over the phone. It, 
everybody had to pivot, change, figure out how to do something. It was easy for Buffalo Brothers. Buffalo Bros is doing pizza, wings, and subs. We already do delivery and takeout. It's easy to figure out. Now, we can't do the volume because nobody's inside. What do you do with 110 kegs that are sitting in your walk-in? But we, fig- we figured out a way through it. Yeah. And every restaurant in town is in the exact same boat of trying to figure out, okay, here's a new set of rules. All right. Now the rules have changed again. <laughs> Bonnell just sent us another email. Oh, isn't this going to be fun? <laughs> well, now you can open, but you got to have a six-foot space in between every table. Well, okay. <laughs> Nobody can stand up with a drink in their hand unless they have a mask on. Eating and drinking can only be sitting down, not standing. Okay. All right. That's a new rule. And as they keep throwing new rules out, it's just a new challenge. It's a new, okay, how can we make it in this business environment with another set of rules? We're all looking to the end and saying, okay, I can't wait to just open up, go back to normal. But it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be a while. Yeah. And everybody is working on their plan, their strategy for how do we get through this? How do we make this work in the meantime? And it's hard to watch places go out of business that didn't do anything wrong, but it's it's happening a lot. So. I just want to make sure everybody hears me. Please keep supporting your local restaurants. The independents, the mom and pops are the ones that are having the most trouble. Chick-fil-A is not going anywhere. It'll always be there for you. And I'm not against Chick-fil-A. It's a great place. But they're not, they're not having trouble getting through this pandemic. Their profits are down. But they will survive. I can promise you that. Your local independents will not. So please support your local retailers, independent restaurants, any change you can. One of the things that uh, we did back then is having tons of clients that are executives and I knew which ones had good expense accounts and they weren't spending the expense account on anything is I started calling and going, Hey, if I can find a bulk of people, will you buy the meals? And they were like, yeah. So we were doing hospitals, fire departments, med star, police departments, um, families. Um, one of, uh, a, a lady that lives over there in my neighborhood, uh, she reached out to me and she said, Hey, um, I want to make a, a big bulk order for some of my, she's a school teacher for about 20 of my students. And I said, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. And she goes, well, these are students that I knew were already on subsidized meals when they're at school. Yeah. And they're and, not going to school anymore. And they're not going to school. Sure. And so I called my, Jeremy, my general manager, and I said, "Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're we're going to go provide groceries for for yeah. twenty. Yeah. And he goes, "No problem. We're going to fix I, the the problem with SNAP right now. Yeah, I like and it. I, and I called a friend of mine, um, who incredible story, James Peterson, and he's with Locked In Insurance now, and he's just doing well. He's finishing TCU's executive MBA program. Marine was homeless, like literally was homeless. Mm-hmm. And a recruiter saw him and was like, you want a job? Yeah. <laughs> so he went to Marines. <laughs> and then so when I called him and said, this is what's going on, he was like, man, without even thinking about it. He's like, yeah, because I've been homeless. I've mm-hmm. been hungry. I know what that's like. And that was something good that really also came out of you know, COVID was yeah. you really saw people that when this country truly faces an incident, that's when people get to see what this country's made of. Yeah. And it's not all what the news says, of, you know, people doing whatever there, there's, that's a few things. There's a lot more cases of people that have hearts and are generous yeah. and 
stepped up to help, right? When, when a crisis happens, it brings out the worst in some and it brings out the best in others. And, yeah. I, and I love the saying, I don't know who to attribute it to. They said, look, when something happens, look for the helpers. And man, Fort Worth is full of helpers. Look for the helpers. Somebody came by Bonnell's and said, hey, all these family meals you're doing one night, I want to buy everybody's dinner one night. I just want to buy the whole thing. How much is that? And I was like, well, that's about $5,800. And he just wrote a check. <laughs> I just want to buy everybody's dinner. Tonight. I just want to do something. I'm doing okay, and I want to make sure other people are too. It gave us business for the night. It gave a whole lot of people. You wouldn't believe the look on someone's face when they drive up and somebody said, by the way, your dinner tonight, it's all paid for. And they said, well, who, who bought it? And they said, you bought everybody's dinner tonight. I'm like, well, that's the nicest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does work for marketing if somebody recognizes your name and said, oh, that, that was a very generous person, and maybe next time I'm you know, looking for a contractor, I'd, I'd talk to that person. But it did it because it, it felt like the right thing to do, and Fort Worth is full of that. We are still getting people coming through the line who say, look, I don't feel comfortable going to restaurants yet. This is about the as, as much as I'm getting out of the house. We shop a little bit at grocery stores, but we mainly do curbside and we come get your meals. So thanks for continuing this. We really need it. And they're still tipping big. Take care of your people. I love yeah. the spirit of Fort Worth. Yeah, we're in a crisis and it's terrible and there's all kinds of problems, but the good people are still they're still out there and they're still uh, stepping up all Man, the time. I, I couldn't think of being anywhere else on this planet than in this great city. Yep. And I think that that's – so the real estate market is going just gangbusters. Sure. I mean, out of 43 weeks this year, 20 or 21 of them have been record-breaking sales here. And I track it all the way back to weekly sales back to 2006. That we very well may sell more houses this year in the west side of DFW wow. than any other year when mm-hmm. things were locked down and nobody was doing anything. So I sure. mean, there was a there, so basically there's a 90 day gap of nothing happening, right? And still yeah. just ha- happening. And so because and I believe so, Dr. Mark Dotzer used to be the chief economist of uh, Texas A&M, and I always listen to any time he's he's talking. I try to talk to him about once a month if I can. Call him, and say, "Hey, what do you what do you think's going on?" And he is really a funny economist. And usually, somebody that's an economist, you know, they're they're about as dry as his paper. But he's not. He's funny. He says funny things. And he 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 had said prior to the pandemic that DFW was expected to grow by a million people by 2030, and now we're seeing that going to happen faster like people absolutely people want to be here i read the other day that just the dfw metroplex itself is bigger than 38 states dfw population was bigger than colorado i mean that yeah. kind of put it in perspective that yeah there's still a booming economy here now it, it may be working in some areas better than others but the food service industry is still there we've had to change how we do everything but people are still buying food People aren't just cooking every at, at home every night. There's been a lot of shifting, but people are still paying for food, and there's still a huge market out there. It's just morphed into something different for a while. Would you say you're just as passionate about this industry as you were 20 years ago? Absolutely. Although 20 years ago, I was thinking ingredients, dishes, presentation, how I want to make my mark and create this kind of cuisine – and now my focus seems to be more on the business side. I want to. I want restaurants that I can say are financially stable, and we can we can look towards you know the future. And I and I'm really 
trying to look out for the rest of the industry too. How does Fort Worth shape its culinary scene? It, there's a bigger picture that I've kind of focused on more these days instead of just what kind of food do I want to make? It used to be, what's my next dish? What's the special going to be? What ingredients are we going to get? Now it, you know, I'm, I just turned 50. So yeah, you're, you're soul searching. We're, <laughs> you're seeing the end of your career, you know, somewhere down the line, not just getting started and, you know, full of fire. So it's just a different perspective, but yeah, I'm still absolutely as passionate. It's just kind of, kind of changed a little bit. So who are some <laughs> of the that. young talent that is up and coming that you, you've kind of been watching and going, man, this, this person. Next good. generation of chefs coming right. through, like uh, yeah. Kevin Martinez over at Tokyo Cafe. He's just phenomenal. Uh, Bria Downey, she was at Clay Pigeon for a long time. Now she's uh, going to be at Roy Pope Grocery. Um, they're doing all kinds of fun stuff over there. It's really, it's fun because the F- Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival, as a group, we're a nonprofit group, and our entire goal was to train and see and develop the next generation of culinarians, the next the next food service professionals for the food and beverage world. And it's it's fun to see a lot of that coming through. We we do a festival, and of course you want to have a fun food and wine festival, and everybody wants to eat and drink. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's the the fun part. That's the easy to see part. But on the backside, we turn around and put all the money into culinary scholarships and into the culinary schools and especially the high school programs in the area so that, Hey, we, we need these kids to succeed, get their experience so that one day they can take over, take the baton and run with it and, and move this industry farther along. We, we all know we can't do this forever. It's not, it's not an old man's game. Where does someone go to donate to that? Uh, the Fort Worth food and wine festival.org FWFWF.org. And wine. And we'll make sure to get that. Yep. Uh, so this year, since we couldn't have a festival, we decided to do a workers' relief fund. And any restaurant that had a worker who was displaced and needed money, whether it was for medicine, whether it was for car repair, whether it was bills, family, anything, if their manager, general manager, owner, or executive chef would fill out the application with them on their behalf, we could write them write them checks and give them grants. And we've given out over $110,000. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is every time I have a guest, I learn something new. Like I've known about the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival for sure. ever and ever. And you did not eat know. and drink all kinds of cool stuff, right? but there's more to it. Yeah. And I had no idea. I mean, and, and the interesting thing about this, too, is I once heard and I, I want to believe this is a factual statement. But I once heard that Tarrant County has more nonprofits per capita than any other county in the U.S. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, there's a lot of giving here. Absolutely, and a lot of and one of the uh, so philanthropy philanthropy.com put out an article a few weeks ago saying that because of the pandemic, they expect one third of nonprofits to shut their doors. Yeah, that nonprofits have been hit as hard as anybody, and I, I sit on a lot of these different boards, and we're at, from. I mean, boards from, from charities to the Cowtown Marathon to the Food and Wine Festival, all, all these different groups, and everybody is literally having the exact same discussion. Can we have an event? How do we fundraise if we can't? Where are we going to go? Do we have a financial future? They're all facing the exact same, you know, music. There's there's five options. You can either just assume your event will be fine next year because, uh, you know, they'll have to have a cure by then. You can cancel it completely. You can try to do a different kind of event that's spaced out and socially distant, but does that make any sense? You can postpone it to the fall, or you could try to do a virtual one. And literally everybody has the same five choices. Yeah. And depending on the financial stability of the of the group, some can't 
go without their fundraiser for the year. That's the only thing they've got. Some some may have a nest egg that they built up over time. They may have some money to fall back on, and they could go a year without it. Others, they uh, they need the money, or or they don't have any employees. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a very very difficult year for charities in general across the board. So, looking across everything going on, you definitely have to think different. If you're not thinking different right now, yeah. you really risk not surviving, right? Yeah. And what's something interesting that you had said a short while ago is when you went to your employees and said, I've got an idea, mm-hmm. and they were looking at you and going, man, this is crazy. Is is that just a part of your entrepreneur mindset of just thinking different? Or? I, I guess so. Um, to me, it's like, okay, well, we got a crisis. Well, all right. What's your answer? And if somebody, if, if I said, look, here's my idea. What do you think? And they're like, I think you're crazy. I'm like, okay, what do you got? Yeah. Well, just everybody put all your, all your ideas out there. Go ahead. Open all the beer you want all night. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Let's talk through every single possibility. What can we do? This is the one that I think will work. And this is why. If you got any other ideas, I'm, I'm all ears. But it finally, at some point, comes down to, okay, I think we've heard it all. I think we've talked this through enough. This is the plan. And somebody has to be able to drive the bus and say, you know, win, lose, fail, whatever happens, we're going down this path. I, we, we've chosen our direction. This is it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We have been very fortunate. I, I always say that I am really, really lucky that this pandemic hit 20 years into my career and not the second year at Bonnell's. We wouldn't have made it. There's no way. Wow. The the cycle of a fine dining restaurant is so difficult. I mean, I love what I do and I will never complain about it, but I, I really don't want to encourage everybody to just jump on in because it's, it is not for the weak of heart. It's a very strange game. The first, as soon as you open, you're going to get written up. Everybody's like, hey, new restaurant and everybody's going to come try. You're going to be so busy. You won't know what to do. And then the second year, 10 other places open and they stop talking about you. And you're like, where did everybody go? So there's a, there's a cycle. You're going to go through this huge open up to, man, there's everybody here. And then you have to slowly build your customer base. And that financially means you may be losing money for a while until you build it up to where you get to get to even and keep going. If we were in our second or third year at Bonnell's and this pandemic hit, we would have shut the doors. And I said, well, I gave the restaurant business a try. Never mind. So there's Can't been a, do it. a lot of restaurants shut down in downtown Fort Worth. A lot. All over. And, and uh, one of the big staples that – was really a very much wake-up call. Not that this hasn't been a wake-up call, but the one that really sung at home was when I saw Uno shut yeah. down. Almost that? 30 years. 30 years, yeah. I mean, a, a staple spot that's yeah. it's, it's, not a, it's not a niche. It's not a fine dining. You only go there yeah. once a year on your anniversary kind of place. It's a every day go grab a pizza place. Yeah. And when Uno's called it in, it, that, that kind of hit home where you said, this is, this is hitting everybody. Yeah. Um, the, the hardest part for people to kind of grasp is like, well, restaurants can still do something, right? All of the fixed costs are still the same. Rent is still due. Utilities are still due or they're going to shut them off. You can't just say, nah, we just won't pay for a while. That only worked for a tiny little bit. And now the back rent is due. So fixed costs are all still the same. The only thing you can control are your variable cost and your two big ones, your employees and inventory. So to say your rent is still there, all of the expensive stuff is still there, just, you know, cut your wait staff down and cut your employee pool down and, you know, sell some food if you can. 
sales right now for most restaurants are around 50%. I know they, they've said restaurants can open at 75%, but nobody's going to get 75% of their people in there with a six-foot spacing requirement between tables. So everybody's really, realistically, we're still at about 50% for the most part. So if, if you can only do 50% of your sales, trying to make the rest of those numbers work, it's really, really tough. That is really tough. But if there's anybody I know who can <laughs> still be standing when the music stops playing is John Bonnell. I, mean, I, I hate to think that it's like a big game of musical chairs and that there's only a certain number of chairs out there. But right now, the restaurant industry is shrinking. There, there have been restaurants that have opened during during COVID, and there have been restaurants that opened and closed during COVID. But in the future, I think there's going to be a, a void in the market. And I don't want to look at this as a, as a bottom feeder and opportunist, but we are planning a restaurant opening um, for the fall of next year. And I'm predicting, I'm assuming that by then, we will be back to where we can have a crowded bar. We will have a crowded dining room and bar. We are not trying to plan a, a COVID-friendly specific type of restaurant. So, you know, with all the dividers and spacing, that's not the concept we're making. I think we're going to be back. I but I don't know that. Um, can you can you tell us about this new place? Sure, it's called yeah. John's Grill. Um, John's Grill. Yeah, burgers and brisket. It's going to be right over by TCU, <laughs> around the corner from uh, from from Buffalo Bros. It's a spot that was the old Aardvark, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. Aardvark, the Hop, all those old ones. Um, there used to be a hamburger spot called John's Grill, and um, it was owned by a friend of mine. He was an incredibly nice guy, and we spelled our name the same way, J-O-N. So we always just got along really well. And uh, anyway, John John passed away, and that restaurant had been gone for a while. And I always thought, man, I, John's Grill, just the name John's Grill kept sticking in my head. It's like, I would love to do a grill sometime. My brother and I had been working on a cattle program. Imagine that, a doctor and a chef, <laughs> also in the ranching business together. We don't like to sit around too much. So we've started uh, our own herd, and we just worked cattle last week, and we've got a little over 100, and we're breeding Akiyushi bulls with Red Angus cattle, uh, cows, and we're trying to make the healthiest beef possible, but at the same time, the tastiest beef possible. And it's wonderful when you've got ribeyes, strips, and tenderloins, but that's only this one little section of the cow. Those are going to go to Bonnells and Waters, but the whole rest of the cow, we're going to do burgers and barbecue. So that's the idea for John's Grill is burgers and barbecue with an extremely high-end chef and doctor concept, the healthiest beef with all kinds of the good fats in it. Not not uh, factory farm, the cheapest burger you can get, but uh, chef designed and <laughs> really, really all natural, you know, kind of fun deal. We're not sending our cows to feedlots. Um, anyway, that's that's our concept as of now. We're hoping we can open up late fall and We'll see how it goes. We're working on the, the restaurant design, menu design, and everything right now. But it should be a pretty fun little TCU hangout once we're done. It'd be nice to turn the smoker on and just just let that let that odor drift all across campus. And, <laughs> you, know, when you, you know, when you drive near a barbecue place, you got that, oh, man, now I feel like brisket. That's what we're, that's what we're going for. If it smells like burgers and brisket all over campus, I think we're going to be okay. And I'm sure there's probably going to be some cold beverages there. Too. You might see a tap or two on the wall, <laughs> on a cu couple of TVs here or there. But well, when that when you when you're getting there, you let me know, and yeah. I will be pushing it out to everybody. I've always been a big fan, and um, and I I know that there was only a handful of people that have your cell phone. I feel privileged to have your <laughs> cell phone number. You're probably like, how in the hell did he get my number? <laughs> Why is he texting me again? And and but but yeah, we'll we'll do everything we can to try to contribute to that. help making that a, a success. And 
man, I tell you, for me to hear that, and I, and I hope the listeners get this too, is going through all of this didn't stop you. You said, nope, we're, not only are we going to survive, but we're going to open up something in a year. Yeah. And, and that is what this country is made of. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the entrepreneurial spirit is still there, and I still want to do it. Um, I, we were going to try to have that open by now. And as soon as COVID hit, we just talked to the landlords and said, can we, can we punt this? Can we just have a little bit of time? And they've been very, very good to work with. And now we're, now we're back in, back in action and then moving full steam ahead. It's funny when, when I look at what we're designing for restaurants now versus what we did in 2001. And the game has changed so much. If, if you were a one track player and you said, no, this is how we do business. The boat left you behind a long time ago. Think about this. We opened in 01. The best advertising I could do was to buy a full page ad in the yellow pages. <laughs> right? How old am I? <laughs> Facebook and the basic uh, iPhone came out in 06 and 07. That was five, six years into business. That has completely changed the way marketing, restaurants, the way we act, maps. I used to be the one on the phone who gave people driving directions. Now, where are you again? And I would literally tell them driving directions. I mean, things like that don't happen anymore. And the new restaurant, we're looking at ordering on an app. You just hop on an app, order your burger, order your brisket. You got your name on it. You've already paid for it. You walk up to a window or walk up to the bar and say, yeah, order for John. Got it. There you go. And it's ready to go. None of that kind of stuff was even remotely thought of when we opened in 2001. The game is always adapting. It's always changing. And if you're not looking at the at the new, you're not looking at the next, then you're 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 stuck in in neutral. So it's it's a fun game to play, but there's never a dull moment. Well, so let's say you go back 28 years to 22 year old self. Oh, geez. And I know that, and I always tell folks, I know that there, if we could have conversations with ourselves at 22, there's a million things we would say. But if there was one thing, that one thing you get to say. 22-year-old John, either do or don't do this. What is that one thing you would tell self? Man, enjoy your time in college because this is the greatest time of your life. When, <laughs> when, you, when you graduate, it feels like they're kicking you out of heaven. It's like, wait a minute. I did everything right. I, 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 four years, I made my grades. I have to go? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it, I'm almost in tears laughing hearing this because – uh, our daughter is a sophomore at Colorado State University. Oh, that's great. And, uh, of course, I mean, her life was disrupted. It'd be in a freshman year, I wanted her to have the college experience. I, I dropped like out of high school. I feel like we're robbing them of something right now. Man. I mean, kids missed a Halloween. You only get so many of those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a hard one right now. They, they, But if there's anything that I believe in this younger generation, and some people, you know, you always hear the older folks go, wow, you know, this generation. I think that they are a lot more adaptive and agile prior to this, just based on technology and everything else, that as they become our age, what will the world look like, mm -hmm. right? And We grew up without the internet, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, They've got you, it all. Do you remember when you page me? Yeah. <laughs> Only doctors had pagers. Only that was a very important person if he had a pager on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they are a drug dealer, one of the two, yeah, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, uh, but... People always ask me what she what she majoring in. I said having a good time. Yeah, <laughs> and good she, for her. She doesn't know. And I told her, I said, look, I want your four years to be fun. This is about learning how to learn. 
the degree of whatever you get, it, 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 that, that, that's less important than learning how to learn and enjoying yourself because you're right. Is when you when you leave college, it's go time. Sure. And you don't get that kind of freedom again till you hit a retirement age. Academically, right? socially, everything about it, it's the first time you've been totally free and you get to make all your own decisions. I mean, it's it's a great time of life. And I, I would tell my 22-year-old self, really enjoy where you are. Stop looking to the future because you're always looking to something else. But we forget to live in the, in the right now sometimes. And, you know, perspective is everything. When I was in college, I wanted to have a good time. I was going to make my grades. And I was an education major at the number one education department in the nation at Vanderbilt. And I was focused on a teaching career. And I still love to teach, but <laughs> it wasn't exactly, you know, I, looking forward, man, I want to work for this school and then I want to do here and then I'll be a, an administrator or maybe I'll be a principal of a school or a headmaster. And all these things just seemed like, yeah, that's the plan. It didn't, it didn't work that way. And, and that's okay. I enjoyed my time at college. I wouldn't have given it up. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I could have gone to culinary school right out of high school. It never occurred to me back then. I loved cooking my whole life and never thought of it as a job. But already having a career, I was a teacher. I taught middle school and high school math and science for two and a half years. And I loved every bit of it. I really enjoyed it. But then I made a career change, totally switched gears and did the strangest thing. I took a bachelor's degree and then went and got an associate's degree afterwards. I, I guess I go get a GED next, but you know, I don't, <laughs> just, it's a very different kind of path, a very different you know way of getting of getting through in my career. But I I love what I do, and I wouldn't trade any of it. But so many people get on this track of I have to follow this exact path all the way through, and for some people that works. For a lot of people, you don't know what you're going to be at 22. You may think you do. Maybe maybe you're completely wrong. Man, you're, you're, I, one of the things I love about this podcast, and I know that eventually someone's answer will be similar to someone else's, but the candor in the response to that question since we started this thing, no one's had the same answer, <laughs> which is really cool because you're, to me, the, 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 the guest is really being candid about, hey, if I really had to go back and tell myself something, yeah. what would I tell them? And, and that's, and man, thank you for the candor. Thank you for coming. So where where do people go to find out more about John Bonnell and all your restaurants? Well, Bonnellsrestaurantgroup.com is our kind of mothership website, and it can lead you to all the different ones. So we've got Bonnell's Restaurant, Waters Restaurant, Buffalo Bros, two locations of that one. John's Grill will be coming up soon. Uh, the Bonnell's Restaurant Group is kind of the, the overall uh, – you know, landing page that we like to start people on, but you can always find us on Facebook. I'm pretty active there. I've, I will never, ever underestimate the power of social media again. I used to just joke and say, oh, yeah, Facebook's the great American time waster. And, you know, we're all guilty of, oh, yeah, there's some old friends. That's funny. You make jokes and put pictures up and memes are great until COVID hit. And it became the most powerful tool ever. So we use social media platforms quite a bit. Um, I would say don't don't waste them. Don't use it to fight with people online because it doesn't work. Nobody ever changed their political opinion or religious views because of a post they saw. If we're going to have a discussion about politics or religion or something very personal, we need to be in the same room. I'll talk to anybody yeah. about anything, but we need to be there. The human empathy needs to be there. We're not going to do it online because that doesn't work well. But when it comes to the power of social media and what you can do, it, I will say Facebook very much saved our businesses to be able to say, all right, here is what we're going to do and get everybody on the same page. These are our menus. This is how it's going to work. This is the pickup time. 
That was the only tool we were able to use, and we did it for free. Man. So that kind of stuff works if you use it as a tool, not as a, as a weapon. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy, and you've got a lot going on. And I knew when I had first started this several months ago and at, that at some point I was – either just going to have to stalk you or something to get you to come on here because you you are a true Fort Worth leader. Thank and you. like I said, as if someone doesn't know who John Bonnell is and you live in Fort Worth, you either are living <laughs> under a bridge, you don't have a, a phone, or you haven't, you've only been here a week. <laughs> so well, thank you. thanks again for your time, John. Appreciate oh, it's it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely.